If you have your Bibles, if you join me in Ezra chapter 5, I would appreciate it. I want to take a walk through what I think is an intensely encouraging passage of Scripture. And we need encouragement. All of us go through seasons where we wonder if it's worth it. All of us have segments of our life's journey that are uphill and into a strong headwind, and it's possible to be discouraged. And when we're discouraged, we tend to run out of steam. In fact, one wrote, discouragement can be a crippling form of soul sickness. And I'd imagine that every one of us that are here understand the sentiment behind that statement. That's where we find the people of God here in Ezra chapter 5. Now we have jumped forward 14 or 15 years from where we were in chapter 4. We find them discouraged. Maybe I could say it in this way. They're soul sick at this point. We read this earlier in chapter 4. Then the people of the land, the surrounding countries, weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. They were discouragers. Actually, they were professional discouragers working against the people of God. They scared them in verse 5 of chapter 4. We read this, all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius. That tells us that they were persistent, that they were relentless, that they were discouraging, and that discouragement came on without end. They have kept this up for 14 years, and it works. The mood of the people of God as we arrive at chapter 5 is one of abject depression. We read tragic words in verse 24 of chapter 4, Then ceased the work of the house of God which is at Jerusalem. They are so discouraged that they stopped working. Where once they were excited and once they were enamored with all that lay ahead, now they have been defeated and they are despondent and they have quit. I'd imagine at this point in time, there isn't one builder that has undertaken this treacherous journey that ever wants to see another brick or stone. Probably never want to hold another trowel again unless, of course, it is them building their own houses. I will say to you, this tends to be the pattern for the doers of difficult things. Anytime you take a step forward for God, you're going to walk into the presence of the enemy. Who always and ever walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One wrote this, like every spiritual advance... From Abraham's to the missionary expansion in Acts, this venture began with a word from the Lord in common with the rest and was quickly tested and threatened. And though those are ancient examples, it's no different for you and I today. Discouraged people need encouraged. People who have grown stagnant and apathetic need motivation. And God in His grace and His mercy and His kindness sends motivation to His people who have stopped doing the work that He gave them to do. Note with me, the first way they're motivated is with some prophets. That's terrible, isn't it? 
What people don't want when they're already beat down is preachers preaching at them, but that's exactly what God did. Notice in chapter 5 and verse 1, then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. This group of people who started with such earnest passion have run out of steam and they are afraid and discouraged and the work of God has ceased. God intervenes with some motivation and the first thing that God does to confront his stagnant people is to send some preachers with a message. He does not forsake them in their dejection. He does not leave them in their depression. He does not want them to wallow in self-pity. So he sends these two preachers preaching. And the fact of the matter is the people have abandoned the project for about 15 years. And rather than focus on the rebuilding of the house of God, they have pivoted and instead they have been focused on themselves. They have become self-interested. They have been focused on self-preservation. Their self-interest and their self-preservation has crushed any interest in rebuilding the house of God. Their messages, by the way, as the prophets arrive, they work. They have the proper effect. Note verse 2. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. What we know is this. The people were actionless. They were apathetic. The work of God had stagnated and stopped. They needed motivation. God sends some preachers in verse 1. They, Haggai and Zechariah, address the excuses of God's people. They motivate them with the truth from God's word to get back to work. And by verse 2, they're back after it. Now one thing's missing in verses 1 and 2, and that's the content of the messages that was preached. And I want you to understand, for us to grasp what's happening in this motivational moment is what it is that Haggai said. If we went to Haggai chapter 1, we would note this. Haggai looked at the people and he told them plainly, put God first. And though we may be in 2024, we are no less in need of having somebody remind us again and again and again, prioritize the things that God prioritizes, put God first. Now we have, in the inspiration of Scripture, the account of Haggai's sermon. We can listen in. Here's what Haggai says in Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king... In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? You say, that sounds really Old Testament-y. It was. But it was powerful preaching nonetheless. Haggai arrives on the scene of this stalled construction project. 
He arrives on the scene with a group of people who at one time had left captivity in Babylon because they felt like God had stirred their hearts to go back and rebuild the temple. They had watched as God moved the heart of the king to empower them and enable them with construction supplies and the finances necessary to do it. They had undertaken a four-month treacherous journey and arrived safely back. They had sung songs of praises. They had shouted at the top of their lungs when only the foundation was laid. How does a group of people with that amount of energy ever get to the place where they stop working altogether? Haggai says, you make excuses. You get to the place where you say, it's not time yet. That's what he said in his message. It's too hard. That was the defense for their inactivity. In effect, they were saying, if the timing was actually right, it would be easy for us to build. And since the building was hard, that means that God wasn't in it. And he addresses them and says, no, you're merely making excuses. And honestly, though we are thousands of years separated from this moment in history, we are no different People become apathetic and we stagnate and we spectate and it is because we're great at making excuses and people who make excuses really stink at just about everything else. In fact, Benjamin Franklin said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. That's what was happening here. Haggai, in effect, addresses the people. I don't think he did so sarcastically. I do believe he did so powerfully. He stands in front of them and says, okay, let me understand this. So it's not time now for us to stop and build the house of God, but what you are telling me is it is time for you to go and build your own houses. And they were building sealed houses. Not your average run-of-the-mill cookie-cutter house. They were building houses fit for kings. It is obvious that the people had confused their priorities. To be honest, we are no different than they. In fact, one of the reasons you may encounter discouragement is because you are self-interested. You pivot away from what God wants and you live a life of self preservation so Haggai preaches and he says to them plainly reprioritize prioritize around the things that God prioritizes simply put put God first that's what Jesus told us when he said seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you no matter how advanced we may be no matter how technologically savvy we may have become no matter how Old Testament this may seem, it still stands to reason that discouraged and apathetic and stagnating people need to be reminded to put God first. But not only that. He says to them, obey God's command. Don't just put God first. You better do what God told you to do. Let's continue with his message. Here he is in verse 5 of Haggai 1. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He is calling them to a moment of reflection. He is within his message saying to them, give careful thought to this. He is telling them in this moment, examine yourself before the Lord. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Examine yourself before the Lord. And his message goes on. Ye have sown much. 
and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that lieth waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. What God is saying through Haggai is, my house is left unbuilt, and you have a home to go to. You are desperately trying to satiate your own passions and lusts and meet your own needs and you're finding that it's not enough. You so much, you reap little. You eat, you're still hungry. You put on clothes, you're still not warm. Why, God is asking them. In effect, he is saying, I'm withholding my blessing from you because you are disobedient to my command. Examine yourself. Go up to the mountain. Bring down the wood. Build my house. I will look upon it and I will bless you. One of those books that we're super scared to read is the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is a bit of a scary book. It talks about head scabs and things like that. It's pretty gross at times. Unless you're into that sort of thing. And if you're into head scabs, I don't even want to shake your hand after the service. Leviticus 26, 18, here's what they would have known about the law. It said this, And if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. God says, if you do not obey my commands, do not expect my blessing. Now, I've been around church a while, and I understand there can be some guilt-ridden stuff that goes on. I do not believe that that is, give me your money or be punished. I believe that is God saying, obey my command and enjoy my blessing. And those are two very different things. They had worried about themselves. They had become interested in chasing their own ends. They had been concerned with self-preservation. And God says, examine yourself. Study out your own life. Obey my commands. We can learn a lesson from them. Too often we make excuses when we ought to be making confessions and obeying the Lord. Discouraged, despondent, defeated people who had stagnated. Need some motivation. God chooses to motivate them with two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Preachers who arrive on the scene and help restart the building project. Their message is not really all that complicated. It is put God first, obey his commands, and enjoy his blessings. It's no different. If you find yourself stagnating and you find yourself defeated and discouraged and beat down, I say to you, put God first, obey his commands, and enjoy his blessings. Now something of note happens in verse 3. It's in the very first four words of the verse. At the same time came unto them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shethar Bosnai, and their companions, and said thus unto them, 
Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? Now, I want you to note something. You're smart. You're smarter than me. You see the first four words. Oh, man, he's got five. I'm not great at math, but I do know the difference between four and five. At the same time came. What that means is this. Discouraged, despondent, defeated people who at once were stirred to be about the work of God and had, because of fear in the presence of the enemy, stagnated and stopped doing the work of God are now reinvigorated, they are revived, they are encouraged. Preachers have arrived on the scene and they're back after it with a passion. And at the exact same time, Tatnai shows up with Shethar Bajnai and they begin to discourage again. That's just like the enemy. Every time we reinvigorate ourselves, every time we turn to do something right, every time we go to get busy again, the enemy who is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, arrives on the scene. Ceaselessly, relentlessly, he shows up. As the preaching commenced, so does the attack. Your enemy and my enemy is relentless. They're going to need motivation. They've had motivation to restart. Now they're going to need motivation to continue, and they find it in the motivation of providence. The motivation of God's presence. The motivation of God's eye upon them. Something very important is in verse 5. We read this, but the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews that they could not cause them to cease. Did you note that? Tatnai and Shethar Bosnai arrive on the scene and they seek to discourage the people from working. They're trying intentionally to get them to stop building. But this time, rather than being victorious like the last time, they could not make the elders cease from the building because the eyes of God were upon them. Now again, you're intelligent. You're a student of the Bible. You know God's word and you're thinking to yourself, do you mean to say that 14 or 15 years earlier, the eyes of God were not on the people? No. Of course the eyes of God were on his people. Of course God was aware of what was going on. But I would say to you, I believe it is at this moment in time that the people themselves are aware that the eyes of God are on them, thus they do not stop working. At this point, they are motivated to continue building because of the providence of God. They were not going to stop the construction project even though they are being opposed. And I know this, when we become aware in a moment such as this one that God's eye is upon us, that he sees us individually and that he knows us personally, that has one of two effects on a believer. It can either encourage the believer or it can and should convict and challenge the believer. Find a struggling Christian who is under the weight of a heavy load. Find somebody who is beat down just a little bit and they are reminded as God says, I will guide thee with mine eye. They read a verse like that in the Psalms and they find some strength. They find some refuge in that. Find a believer who's involved in some sin, a believer who has stagnated and they in fact are not encouraged but should be convicted and challenged. 
At this moment in time, the people of God who have undertaken this construction project are encouraged in the midst of an attack because they know God is watching them. They're encouraged. Now, Tatnai has to ramp up the attack. Tatnai and Shetharbosnai have attempted to get Zerubbabel and Jeshua to stop, and yeah, it gets really hard to preach a message full of Old Testament names. And to be honest, it's not about to get any easier. So what he does as governor of the province is he undertakes a little bit of a political attack, and he writes to Darius. He writes Darius a letter, and here's what we get in verse 6 of Ezra 5. The copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor on this side the river, and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Afarshakites, which were on this side the river, sent unto Darius the king, they sent a letter unto him. Do you get the impression that Ezra wants us to grasp? They sent a letter. Hey guys, they sent a letter. They are now ramping up the attacks. They're going to go over their head. They send a letter to Darius like a bunch of tattletales. They can't get them to stop because they're aware that God is watching them. So they turn up the heat. Here's the letter, verse 8. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on, and prospereth in their hands. Then asked we those elders, and said unto them thus, Who commanded you to build this house, and to make up these walls? I think this part is funny. We asked their names. That sounds, listen, that sounds like old people yelling at you, doesn't it? What's your name? What's your name? Well, I want to know, I want to write your name down. I want, I want your name. We ask their names also. We, we have their names. Why did we write their names down? Because we wanted to know who was the chief of them so we could tell you who's here doing this work. We got names, Darius. We got names. Don't you hate letters? I, I pastorally hate letters. It used to be early on, and I pastored for a, a long time, some say 20 years. That people would write letters and they would give you anonymous letters and you think to yourself, don't read it, don't read it, don't read it, but you have to read it. And now in 2024, people don't really send letters and if you do, you just put them in the shredder because you know that that can't be good. That's a letter. They send emails. And the only way you can lie about who you are in an email is to use like a fake email address, but we've developed ways of finding you if you send one that's nasty and mean. Here they're sending a letter. You know this could have a discouraging effect, but something intriguing is contained in this letter. It is the assessment of the enemies about the people of God. The people who once were passionate and undertook this construction project, who were discouraged and ran out of steam, who had been reignited by some preachers to put God first and to obey his command and enjoy his blessing, here's the assessment of Tatnai and the enemies of God's people. They write to Darius and they say, hey Darius, they're building for the great God. This is proof that they were assessing God based on the activity of his people. This tells us the world is watching. Not only is God watching, the world is watching. And they said, hey man, they're building this not just to any God, but a great God. In effect, you should see the house they're building for him. 
You should see these stones. You should see the timber that they're putting in the walls. This thing is costly. This is a real construction project they're pouring themselves into. They have pivoted from building their sealed houses and they are going after the work of God and he is a great God. They say also, this work goeth fast on. That means they're working really hard for their God. They're passionate. They are zealous. In effect, they're really getting after it. It seems like a fire has been lit over there in Jerusalem, Darius. I think you need to know about it. They know right now they're working for God. And man, they are getting after it. And it prospereth in their hands. They're prospering for God. Has it ever dawned on you that how you work testifies of what you believe? And how you live adorns the doctrine of Scripture? And that the world outside is watching the life that you live. How many of you find that it's really easy to invite people to church? I find, as I've pastored, that there are some people that are just really effective at getting other people to church. And there are some that you know down in you that their neighbors or their coworkers look at them and they think, if that's you, I don't want it. If your church is made up of people that look and act and talk and think like you, I'm good. I'll go elsewhere. If your church is anything like you live in the workplace, is not a place that I want to go. The world is watching. They're not just watching you as you try to reach them with the gospel. Trust me, in this world, they're watching pastors just like me very closely. And they're watching churches just like this one. And I'm saying to you that the outsiders looked at God's people and they said, Man, they clearly have a fresh awareness that they're building for God. And they are passionate and they are zealous about this and it is prospering in their hands. The world takes note of the work that we do. Paul even says in the New Testament, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You must understand the world is watching you and they are judging your Christ and they are gauging your gospel and they are watching how you live and work. Grasp this. They're truthful. They're transparent. They were addressed by their pagan enemies and they were aware that God was watching them and they were working. People who started so strong They felt the stirring of God enough to leave Babylon and go four months of a treacherous journey to a nowhere town that was completely knocked over. They start earnestly rebuilding, so amped that when the foundation is laid, they have a 50,000 person praise and worship service and they thank God for only the foundation. But fear seeps in and discouragement from the outside causes them to stop. And for 15 years, they begin to just build their own houses and live their own lives, eyes off God, eyes on them. And God steps in and some preachers preach, put God first, obey his command, enjoy his blessing. It reminds them that they have to work and press on because God is watching them and the world is watching them. And when the heat was turned up, they needed this bit of motivation as well, the motivation of God's protection. A request is made to see if permission truly has been granted. Now, Tatnai is 
just one of those guys that would drive you crazy. In fact, he's just one of those bureaucrats. He's governor on this side of the river, and he thinks he's a big shot. He knows that the city of Jerusalem and the region of Judea has in the past been a bit of a problem spot for other kings, and so he writes a letter, as we've already addressed, and here's one of the requests that he makes in his letter, verse 17 of Ezra 5. Now, therefore, if it seem good to the king... Let there be a search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so, that a decree was made of Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning the matter. In effect, hey Darius, if you wouldn't mind sending one of your scribes into the royal archives to find this, and by the way, history does tell us they were really good at archiving things. In fact, Alexander the Great for his library in Alexandria stole this idea. They really did archive all of these documents. It wasn't vastly different than now. Darius... They're telling us that they can build because Cyrus said it was so. Can you go check the royal archives, let us know if that decree was actually made, and then send back to us your pleasure, and I know what Tat and I is thinking, and when you tell me to stop this construction project, and I have your authority, I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to bust every one of the elders in the chops, I'm going right to Zerubbabel, I'm going straight to Jeshua, we're shutting this project down. Au contraire. Here's what we find in Ezra chapter 6. Darius sends a scribe into the royal archives. And now Darius is going to write a dear Tatnai letter back to him. Notice what he says. Now therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai and your companions, the Epharsachites, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. That's Old Testament for get out of their way. Let the work of this house of God alone. Literally, keep your distance. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Tatnai, zip your lip. Stop asking for names. Stop going over and criticizing. Stop trying to go over their head. Stop trying to exercise rule and reign over what they're doing. You, sir, shut your mouth and leave them alone. They needed the motivation that God was protecting them. And when you have that motivation that God is on your side, man, anything is possible. I love the letter. I wish I had time to really dig through the whole thing. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to read a verse or two. Do you have time? You good? All right. Verse 11. Here's Darius saying, Tatnai, also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house, and being set up, let him be hanged thereon, and let his house be made a dunghill for this. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, Destroy all kings and people that shall put their hand to altar and to destroy this house of God which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. Isn't that pretty great? I now sign my emails that way. I, Pastor Edwards, have decreed it and let it be done with speed. 
What he's saying there is, hey, Tat and I, I know that you're probably going to go over there and act like a big shot, act like you can tell the governors and the elders of the Jews what to do, but I'm telling you, dude, if you alter this word, if this letter is changed, if this message gets back to me that you've changed it, we're going to take timber out of your house, we're going to build gallows with it, we're going to hang you, and then we're going to make sure that your house is a dunghill. Doesn't that sound bad? Anybody want to go home to a dunghill? You say, it's pretty Old Testament. Is that good? No, it's bad. Dung is not good. Dung hill is worse. You get it. I don't need to elaborate. God says, I'm so on the side of these people that I will destroy you if you mess with them. Stay away from them. Verse 8 has a beautiful word in it too. Moreover, I make a decree that ye shall do the elders of these Jews for the building of this house, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. Do you somewhat appreciate the legal language of these letters? Basically what he is saying is, And the taxes that you are collecting will underwrite this construction project for them. So if you Jews at Jerusalem are feeling any financial strain, be alleviated because the taxes for Tatnai in his provinces will underwrite your construction project. Here's what motivated them. God is protecting us. When you are doing the work of God in God's way, you enjoy God's protection. If you are despondent or you are discouraged, if you are beat down, and once you can remember being this really aggressive and passionate and zealous and busy individual for God, but over time fear and discouragement has crept in and a soul sickness has made you invest in yourself and preserve yourself to where you've taken your eyes off of God, let a preacher say to you simply, put God first, obey his commands and enjoy his blessings. Never forget that God's eyes are upon you. Be infused with strength or be convicted and confess. The world is watching you and understand you have the protection of God. Be encouraged. Get back to work. I love how Darius ends his letter. He writes to them and he says that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Darius tells Tatnai, by the way, when you're over there telling them, and I want you to read this letter, and how wonderful would it have been, if I'm Zerubbabel, I'm smiling the whole time Tatnai reads the letter. As he stands up and he has to say, and whoever messes with you, we're going to make his house a dunghill, and we're going to hang you out in front of timber from your own house. I'm just like, I am so glad you asked for my name, Tatnai. What's your name, dude? And the king says as he ends this letter, Tatnai, before you leave this construction project and stay very far away from it other than to take the tributes necessary for it, could you just request that when they get it all built and they're burning the incense and they're doing the sacrifices that they would just pray for me and my boys? Could they just pray for me and my sons? God has a way of seeing his work through when there is seemingly no way through. And I say to you, if you're discouraged, this message of Ezra 5 and the first part of Ezra 6 is for you. Be encouraged. Get back to work. Would you please, for just a moment, bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, 
head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.